that, let's open up to Luke chapter 4 as we have an incredible study uh, before us today as we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to see Jesus uh, ministering in Galilee. He ministers over in his hometown, Nazareth, um, then Capernaum, and then he kind of goes back into the areas of Galilee. Uh, We should have a map, if I'm not mistaken, on the very next slide right here. I don't know if you can see it from where you're at, but um, uh, in the lower portion, we have the uh, area of Judea, um, Jerusalem. That's where the temple would be. Uh, Above that, you have Samaria. Uh, Again, the Jews didn't like to go through there. Um, And then above that, you have this area of Galilee. I don't know if you could see Nazareth right there, and then you go up a little bit higher, and there's Capernaum. And uh, this is where we're going to be reading about where Jesus actually does a lot of his ministry. If I'm not mistaken, I I think uh, one of the historians said that in this area right here of Galilee, uh, Jesus would be ministering and there would be just a grip of people. There's like three million people that he ministered to. And uh, we see that the the disciples were actually Galileans. And so it's an incredible thing. Um, But today we're going to see him ministering. and, And we learn so much, you guys, to me. As we begin now to study the life of Christ, my desire is that we would see him and that we would contemplate Christ, that we would just see him for who he is. And then after that's done, then we would emulate him. After we see him and worship him, then we'll be like him and we'll walk like him. So let's look at his ministry here. Uh, Beginning in verse 14 of Luke 4, it says, And then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, one of the things we've already seen repeatedly in the Gospel of Luke is the emphasis upon the person and power of the Holy Spirit. We saw it, um, you know, in the very early stages as the Holy Spirit was part of the Immaculate Conception. We saw even John the Baptist filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. We saw that when Jesus got baptized, it says as, as he prayed, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form. Uh, We read in Luke 4, verse 1, about how Jesus was led by the Spirit. Mark tells us he was driven by the Spirit. And now, after his temptation, as he really begins now to go out into the synagogues and teach and just to minister, we're going to see teaching and preaching and healing, that he does so in the power of the Holy Spirit. And without a doubt, there is an emphasis that God uh, shows us in the life of Christ in that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, that he emptied himself of his divine privileges, and therefore he chose to, cho- to show us how we as human beings can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, how are you doing in your life? Um, how's it going? Are you, are you experiencing victory? Is there, is there peace? Is there ministry taking place? Is there fruit? Is there a change in your life, you know? Um, we come together as a church, and I, and, I, and I know we have to do this. We come together and we huddle together. But, man, coming to church is really not what it's all about. Um, going out and living the life is really what God's looking for. 
And for some of us here, I would venture to say that things are not what they should be because you're walking in your own power. You're walking in your own strength. You know, they, they call it K-wave for a reason, man. You've got to catch the wave, right, of living water. I mean, you know, when you go to the beach and, you know, you, you go into the wave, it just carries you. It carries you. And the Holy Spirit is that wave of living water. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. I'm not talking about a little wind. I'm talking about a wind that will blow you, that will carry you, that will empower you and strengthen you. And we have to live in the power of God. Otherwise, we're walking in our own strength and there'll be no fruit. There'll be no ministry. You know, and and the thing about it, and this is the hard part, is that, man, if you've been going to church for a while, you know how 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 to pretend. You know how to just kind of like make, make believe like everything's okay and, you, and it's really not. And I'm telling you this, man, that's a dangerous place to be. You, we got to be honest and we really got to ask God to empower us with his Holy Spirit so that he's really the one moving us in life. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I, I want you to know he's available to all of us. The power of God is available to all of us. I think it begins, first of all, with a dependence upon God. So, you know, you come to that point and you just honestly say, you know what, I can't do this. I can't. I can't love my wife the way I'm supposed to. I can't live my life the way I'm supposed to. I try to my own strength. God, I desperately need you. It begins there, and it's rooted in that. Number one, dependence upon the Holy Spirit. But then after the word dependence, I I think is the word obedience. Two things. Number one, you've got to have a prayer life. And number two, I think you kind of got to have a proper life. You got to fall on your face, man. You got to fast. You got to get on your knees. You got to cry out for the Holy Spirit. Or you're not going to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to pray. Luke chapter 11, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking. As he prayed, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit came. It's got to be a prayer life. And then there's got to be that, that proper life. And by that, I, I don't mean perfection. And I don't mean like, you know, hey, you're you know, a Pharisee. Uh, I mean that your heart is right, that your heart is hungry, that, you know, you're not living in, you know, sin, um, you know, blatantly and without asking God for help. But, you know, you're, you're trying. We see here, Jesus here, he went through 40 days of, uh, of temptation and he came out victorious. And undoubtedly, Luke here, he says that after that whole thing happened, it's like after he was tested and after he, you know, went through that whole experience in the wilderness, I, I believe he came out even stronger. And now he returns in the power. The word, the Greek word is dunamis. What, what English word do we get from dunamis? You guys know, right? dynamite, explosive power of God. So he returns in that power of the Spirit to Galilee. And obviously news, you know, would spread because he's very different. And it says in verse 15 that he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. You know, the power is um, not only to touch. It's kind of cool. It is the power to teach. 
You know, I think a lot of times we come to church service or we come to the place and we want God to touch us. And yes, God can touch us and God can zap you, man. He really can, huh? But primarily, rather than just touching you, is he wants to teach you. He wants to teach you his word. Because the truth will set you free. See? You know, the other day, you know, we ran into this guy. Some of you might know him. Keep him in prayer. His name is Sammy. He's, he's, he's a prisoner to alcohol. Uh, the other day I was studying for this, and a gal came in and just, just devastated, ravaged by alcohol. And I look at their life, and I think, God, is there freedom for them? And God says, yeah, I'm their freedom. We're going to look at this later, but it's the truth. It's the truth that God loves them. It's the truth that God can strengthen them. It's the truth that Jesus is their Savior. He died for their sins. And if they would just come to him, then they would be set free. And all these things are things that that we would learn as we come and we sit at Jesus' feet. Here we see Jesus. And if I could just say it this way, the first thing I see is just the unction. The unction, the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. The second thing I could say, if I could just say this in my weirdness, is instruction. You know, as he's teaching, and we're going to see him over and over again, teaching the Bible, teaching the Bible. And then the third thing I would say is function, if I could just say that. Look what it says in verse 16. It says, and so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We read in verse 15 that Jesus would go into the synagogues and and he would teach, which, just as a side note, is pretty interesting how the Lord had a conviction to be in church each week. You know, from what I understand, one-third of the congregation is missing every week. You know, but Jesus had a conviction, even Jesus, man, to be there every week. But we kind of get a little window of what it was like when he was there. Um, William Barclay said that they would have different people come up and read, and and, uh, they called him the president of the synagogue. He would, you know, choose who would come up, maybe six, seven visitors, and And so Jesus would go up, and I don't know if he grabbed the scroll of Isaiah. I don't know if they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, but he comes and, you know, he opens it up to the section, Isaiah, we would call it chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, and he he reads it. Again, there in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he just, he rolls it back up 
He gives it to the attendant, and he sits down, and everybody's looking at him. They're like, what's he going to say? And, and pretty much the, the basic content of his message is today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. He was saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has appointed me. God has anointed me to come and to minister to you. And there you see the function of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't just the establishment of a religion globally. It was, a, it was an establishment of a rela- relationship personally. You know, that as he comes down and he looks at the people, he loves the people. As he comes down and he ministers to the people, that that would be the ministry of the Messiah. You know, he has anointed me. And again, there's the Spirit again, right? The Spirit again. It's got to be the Lord. Number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. So that means if you're rich, you can't go to heaven, right? No, I'm just joking. What do you think the poor is? It's in reference to those who are poor in spirit. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God. It's an individual who knows that they don't have enough righteousness to make it to heaven on their own. You know, because sometimes you go out there on the streets and you ask people, you think you're going to go to heaven? And they say, yeah, because I never killed anybody. Sometimes they'll say that or they'll say, I'm a good person. You know, a lot of people say that. I walk old ladies across the street. I give to the church. I went to church. You name it. There's a whole bunch of things you could say, right? But he says that the poor in spirit, they will inherit the kingdom of God. The ones who know that they themselves have no righteousness. We only have wickedness. We are only wretchedness. God says, I've come to give them good news. Heaven is their home. If they put their life in me, their faith in me. I like what he says next. He says, he sent me to do what? To heal the brokenhearted. You know, and you read that right there. And man, I don't know about you, but I'm just so blessed that God has done this. You know, how many of you here have ever broken a bone in your body, just out of curiosity? You know, you name it, legs, hands, arms, heads, we've broken bones, right? It's pretty amazing, man. Even Dick, he said, he broke my head, man. Different things happen, right? And isn't it amazing how, you know, you just kind of bind it up a little bit, you put it in a sling or whatever, a cast, and it gets better? You ever think about that? You cut yourself, it mends itself, and next thing you know, you can't even know it's there, especially when you're younger, how our body heals itself. But when your heart gets broken, it doesn't heal itself, right? Our heart gets broken in life. Sometimes it's through relationships. You know, I know for myself, when I was just a little kid, you know, and there were different things going on in my life, but I'll never forget the day that my dad left. I still remember the day that he left. I was over there in Adelia and Almani, and I was just a little kid, and I was holding on to his leg. I said, Dad, don't leave. Don't leave. And he just kept walking. And my heart broke. The hearts don't fix themselves. And, you know, you go on in life, and... A heart gets broken in so many ways. So many ways. That's why Jesus has come to heal the brokenhearted. 
You know, eventually the day came. And, you know, we go through life. So many things happen to us. And, you know, you go through life. And then, you know, when you get saved and when you come to the Lord, he heals the brokenhearted, right? And he says, Manny, you know what? You didn't have a dad growing up, but you got a dad. You've always had a dad, right? And he heals us, right? And not only that, it's amazing to me because now my dad's saved. Talk about healing the brokenhearted, man. Now I talk to him, and all he talks about is the Lord. It's kind of frustrating sometimes, man. <laughs> I'm all, don't you like the Raiders anymore? You know. <laughs> but it's amazing what God does. You see, the unction of God is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the instruction of God is what he does. He just comes and, you know, nothing fancy here. He just teaches us the Bible. That's what God does. And you look at this right here and you see then the function of God. And you guys, this is what he's doing in our life. You know, he's preaching the good news to those who are poor, who are down, who are humble, who think that they, you know, don't have a life or even anything to offer. And God says, yes, you do. I love you. I love you. And I have a plan for your life. And he gives us that good news and he lifts us up and he saves us. And then he uses us, right? And then he begins to heal our heart. He's the keeper of our heart. You know, and so many people out there, it says right there that he's come to proclaim liberty to the captives. Again, recovery is sight to the blind. Liberty to those who are oppressed. I mean, I'm telling you, the ministry of Christ is to set us free. You know, sin does not have to have dominion over us whatsoever. I don't care what the sin is. And sometimes we feel oppressed and we feel depressed and we feel bummed out. And it's this cloud that follows us around in life. And a lot of times it's because we're not really letting the Lord minister to us. We're not sitting at his feet or opening up our heart to his love. I'm telling you this, man, that God didn't just come to establish a religion globally. He came to establish a relationship personally, and he's ministering to you. And he wants to minister through you. It says right there in verse 19, he's come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You guys know what year it is? The acceptable year of the Lord. You're like, no, it's 2011. Okay, kind of. No, we're living in the acceptable year of the Lord, that God wants to save people, that we're living in a life and in a world that God wants to save people. That's what it's all about. He saved you, and he's working in you, and he wants to work through you to save people. That's the ministry we're in right now. If you go back to Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus, you know, he read a couple of verses and then he stopped. He stopped at a comma. Now, some people wonder, why did he stop there? Because if he would have continued to read, it says in the day of vengeance, the day of vengeance of our God. And although Jesus did talk about the judgment to come and the second coming, his first ministry, his first coming, he came as a lamb. He was nailed to a cross. He bled and he died for our sins. It's a saving year. But next time he'll come as the lion. But see, this is the ministry. This is the function. This is what Jesus does. He, he shares with them. He reads to them. He closes the scroll up. He sits back down. And back in those days, 
the teacher would sit and you would stand. I think we should do that. I don't know why we don't. You know? <laughs> and everybody just is, and he says, hey, man, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he's basically doing is he's saying, I'm the, I'm the savior. I'm the, the one, the appointed one, the anointed one. And he's just kind of pointing them to himself. And, and so we read what happens next in verse 22. And so they all bore witness to him and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, in looking at this right here, we don't really see the full spectrum of it. But in looking at this right here, what they were doing was that they were, they were in, in essence, rejecting him because of the familiarity. You know, they liked the way he talked. They knew something was different about him, but they didn't like the content of his conversation, and primarily because he was pointing them to himself. And, you know, they weren't just saying, oh, it's Joseph's son. They were saying, wait a minute, time out. Isn't this Joseph's son? Uh, the other gospel tells, isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, he's not no religious guy. He's a blue-collar worker. And he's pointing us to himself. Matthew thirteen fifty-five. Is this not the carpenter's son? It's not his mother called Mary, his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters. They're all here with us. Where did this man get all these things? And so they were offended at him. We read in John 6, verse 42, and they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then, he says, I have come down from heaven? They said, We know who you are. Who do you make yourself out to be? You're the fulfillment of Isaiah. You've come down from heaven. And so what ends up happening is they rejected him. And so Jesus then begins to speak to them in verse 23. And he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you've heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I, I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. And then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. I think we learn a lot of things. You know, I think we learn of the unction, the instruction, the function. And then we see the rejection. And why is it that people have a problem with Jesus? You know? Well, it's because his words don't fit their will. It's because he's not making a religion. He's, he's making it a relationship. He's pointing to him. He said, essentially, John fourteen six right here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, and he's telling them, you know, as they're rejecting him, you know, you guys... You know, you're going to ask for a sign. When I'm on the cross, you're going to tell me to heal myself. 
And then he begins to speak to them. And again, it's kind of the same message that John shared, but in a different way. Remember what John said? John said, right now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. I'm ready to cut it down. Because you guys think that just because you're religious that you're going to heaven. You think that just because you're descendants of Abraham that you're going to heaven. I'm telling you right now, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. I'm telling you right now, it's not a program. It's a person. It's me. It's Christ, right? And so he said, you know, man, repent. God can raise up descendants of Abraham from these stones. And Jesus here is going to kind of say the same thing. You know, when, when, when Elijah was there, there was a lot of widows in Israel. But Elijah didn't go to any of the widows in Israel. He went to Gentile territory. And when Elisha was there, when you look at it, you know, what God ends up doing is he tells the man, there was a lot of lepers in Israel. But, you know, it was the Syrian. It was a Gentile that was saved. And what, what that would do is that would tell them two things. Number one, it's not about your ancestry and your Israel, you know, light descendancy. It's, it's, it's about your relationship. And number two, and as he begins to share with them about Luke, he said, man, this is not just for the, um, the Jews. It's for the Hispanics. Amen? The Chicanos. Right? I mean, you name it, man, the Anglo-Saxons, man, the Germans, the Italianos, the French. I mean, you name it. It's for every tribe and tongue and nation. It's for the whole world. And he wants to share with them, you know, the way that it is. But, man, uh, unfortunately, and we kind of get an etch in history, the Jews really, really were etched in this lie that they were the only ones that were going to be saved and really, the only reason the Gentiles were made was to, you know, fuel the flames of hell. Do you guys remember when Paul the Apostle was uh, sharing his message? And he's speaking to all the people there in the temple area. And he's talking about, you know, his testimony and even how Jesus appeared to him. And he's speaking to them in Hebrew and they're all listening. They're all nodding their heads. You know, everything's going cool. Until he said one word. Do you remember what that one word was that got everybody upset? It was the word Gentiles. And once they heard that one word, there was a riot. That's how deeply etched their hatred was. And so when Jesus starts saying this about Naaman the Syrian, about this widow who's a Gentile, man, look what they did, you guys. They were filled with wrath. Jesus is filled with the spirit. He's filled with love. He's filled with truth. They're filled with wrath. And so they thrust him out of the city. Can you picture that? They lead him to the brow of the hill in which the city was built. And they're just going to throw him over the cliff. That's how they would stone people sometimes. They would throw him over the cliff and then they would drop stones on top of them. But it wasn't his time. And he just kind of weaves his way back. And what ends up happening? Jesus is rejected in Nazareth. Jesus is rejected in his hometown. See, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. This is a quick side note. Sometimes, you know, they despise you. Your family despises you because that's the principle of the scriptures. But don't feel bad. They did the same to Christ. And so what does he do? He says, okay, I'm going to go over to Capernaum. We read in verse 31, it says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. 
And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. And then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. We look at Christ and I pray we would see um, see his ministry, see his heart. I pray that we would see his power. You know, as he goes now to Capernaum, again, he's just teaching the Bible again. He's there on the Sabbath and he's just teaching them. And everybody's astonished at his teaching because his word was with authority. Um, in those days, a lot of the teachers, they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says, and Rabbi so-and-so says, but I say to you, Jesus said. And they thought, wow, he has authority. There's two Greek words for authority. There's the word dunamis, inherit power to do miracles. And then there's this word right here. It's the word that speaks of legal authority. That when Jesus taught, he taught from the top. And one of the things, if you're a Christian here today, isn't it true that when you hear a teaching that's right on, doesn't it resonate within you? You're like, you know what, that is so true. Not that you're the judge. I mean, the Bible is the final authority, but because of you have the Spirit of God inside of you, when you hear the Lord speaking his word, you just know it's the Lord. And so when they're hearing Jesus teach, they thought they were just astonished, man. We're not used to this. There's been a famine in the land. But now they were getting fed, right? But as he's there and they're in the synagogue, one of the guys was possessed with a demon. Imagine that. You come to church and the guy's been coming every week and turns out he's possessed, you know. And so this guy who's possessed, he just can't hold his tongue and he just says, why have you come here? Um... Literally in the Greek, did you come to hinder our work? Now that's interesting. You have someone who comes in and they sit in the church and they don't know the Lord and they've got an agenda in the church. Be careful, you guys. Not everybody here knows the Lord. There's wolves here. Well, anyways, this guy, he can't hold himself and he shares something that's kind of interesting. Um, He shares who Jesus is. He says right there, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And although Jesus, you know, told him to be quiet um, because it wasn't time to reveal himself yet, because the people had a misunderstanding of what the Messiah was really called to do, they thought that the Messiah was just going to come to establish a, a physical kingdom. They didn't know. They needed to be taught. Um, nonetheless, what the demon says is true. And so today we see the unction, we see the instruction, we see the function, we see the rejection. And then the next thing we see is the identification. And this is very important, who Jesus is. You know who he is? He's a holy one. The holy one of God. 
and there's no one else like him. He's the Holy One, the only one that can save us. See? Later in Luke chapter 7, verse 16, when John the Baptist was wondering, uh, you know, getting a little impatient, and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one? And Jesus said, yeah, I'm the one. Later in Romans chapter 5, if you read that, it's kind of interesting. It said that sin entered the world through one man. That's Adam, right? But Jesus Christ, life, salvation, forgiveness comes to the other one. The one. And that's Jesus Christ. They knew who he was. You're the holy one of God. And so Jesus rebukes him, he casts out the demons, and everybody's just tripping out at the power he has. Now, just as a quick side note right here, you guys. You know, I know there's not a demon behind every corner, but there's a lot of demons out there. You know, you believe in angels? Everybody believes in angels, right? Even non-Christians believe in angels. you got to believe in demons, too. Who knows? Maybe some of you here are being defeated by demons. I don't know. I know that they usually just lie to you. But sometimes they can oppress you. And, and sometimes God wants you to get up and to start wrestling. And you don't want to wrestle. But you've got to wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers and you know, hosts of wickedness and the darkness. We do wrestle. You know, a lot of times we get mad at that person or this situation, and the bottom line is it's a spiritual warfare. And God says there in Ephesians chapter six, verse ten through twenty, this is what you gotta do. You've got to be in the word, you've got to be wearing the armor of God, you've got to be on your face, on your face. I want to encourage you. I know for some of you here, you know, you're like, well, Manny, it's not about posture. But, man, when was the last time you were on your face? Go get on your face. Get on your knees. Fast and pray and seek God with all your heart. Because you're in a war. And I know we don't believe demons are around every corner, but, man, sometimes they come in and they, and they set up camp. And God is just saying, well, haven't you read the Bible? Haven't you seen the ministry of Christ? They're not everywhere. Not every sickness is due to demons, but they are there. And you can't do this on your own strength anymore. You're going to start living a spiritual life. Spiritual life. Not just a physical life. And Jesus did these things. He had the power. They just, man, that's why I just want to get behind Jesus, man. I really do. Not just the big things, but the little things. It says in verse 38, Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. And so he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her, and then he said, make me some tortillas. No, he didn't say that. It says, go right there. Immediately she arose and served him. I think that's so awesome when you look at that right there. 
You know, here's uh, Simon's uh, wife's mother. So Peter was married, okay? He wasn't the first pope. He was married. And, uh, you know, his wife's mom was sick. She had a fever. There's two Greek words for fever. They only had a low fever and a high fever. So this was a pretty, pretty intense fever. And he just kind of looks over her and he rebukes the fever. Uh, same word used earlier about rebuking demons. And does that mean she was demon-possessed? No. You know, sin uh, causes a lot of things. It causes sickness in a, in a natural state. And that's why sometimes when I'm praying for people, I'll even pray, Lord, speak over their life. That's all it takes is a word from his lips to heal people. But I just think it's so cool that when she does get up, that she serves him. You know, and if you've been given health, Use your health for holiness, man. And so the Lord, he's ministering in Galilee. We kind of get a close-up of what it was like in Nazareth. It didn't go too well there. But then he goes down to Capernaum, and, you know, that would be his hometown. It it went pretty good there. Um, But then we read next, it says in verse 40, when the sun was setting, uh, Jesus went to sleep. No, it doesn't say that. It says, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases they brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out, many crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. There's more identification for us. The Christ, the Son of God, the anointed one, the appointed prophet, priest, and king, right? Not just a man, the Son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak for they knew that he was the Christ. That was his ministry, man. And when you read Mark chapter 1, you read from sun up to sun down, late into the night. He went into the house, who knows, maybe to have some dinner or to get some rest. But man, the people came to him. And they just came to him and he did not turn them away. They came with various diseases and he laid his hands and he healed every single one of them. Now, again, it shows us the power he has over physical ailment. But for us, for us here, every single one of us can experience that power of God in our life to give us that spiritual healing, the victory that we need, right? That's the power of Christ. And so God did a great work in Capernaum, right? So everybody's excited. But look what happens. It says in verse 42, Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. The ministry of Christ prior to the cross, teaching, preaching, and healing, right? The words of Christ, the works of Christ, it's an amazing ministry. How did he know what to do every day? You know, um, he probably had an iPhone, right, with like a little day planner thing. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do today. Looking ahead at his yearly calendar. You know, there's a place for that. Looking ahead at our yearly calendar, there's a place for that. But you want to know the best place to be is, is just checking in with the Lord. For me, it's in the morning. Every single day, I go to my garage. I hang out with the spiders, and I hang out with the different things where it's cold, but I hang out with the Lord, and I ask him, and I begin to pray, Lord, here's my day. One day at a time, every day, you take it to the Lord. 
And so what ends up happening? The people come. If you read the other Gospels, Peter led the group. They're all searching for him. They find him. They say, hey, Lord, this is so cool. Revival's taking place in Capernaum. Let's build a church here, man. There is obviously, Lord, a great need. But Jesus was able to say no to the people because he was saying yes to his father. And he said this, I must. I must. You know, there, there's a work here, uh, you guys, and it's an amazing thing there in Capernaum. But for him, the reason he was sent, he was sent, was to go through Galilee, and he'd be going in Samaria.